Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, and the perfect guest to have on Valentine's Day would, of course, be Taylor Swift. But I couldn't get her, but we did get the Weekly Standard's version of Taylor Swift, Jonathan Last, his new book, What to Expect When No One's Expecting, America's Coming Demographic Disaster. Jonathan, what a perfect message for Valentine's Day. It is time to get jiggy with it. Yes. Hey, America, let's all get drunk and make bad decisions tonight. <laughs> I'm encouraging that throughout Valentine's week. Why does it make it one night? So tell me here on Valentine's week, why is, is it the case that we should be making more babies? Well, because we haven't been making enough. We, uh, we've had a fertility rate in America below the replacement level since about 1973. And uh, eventually this sort of thing catches up with you. It's, it's now a global phenomenon, fertility decline, and all around the world we're beginning to see the fruits of it. Uh, you have prolonged economic recessions in countries like Greece and Japan who are ahead of us on the curve. Uh, you have, as we're fighting here right now, the, uh, the instability of Medicare and Social Security, all of which is fertility-related, the sequester. Sequester fight we're looking at right now is really fertility related. Uh, you know, for the fertility rate in demographics undergirds sort of like the entire world around us. But I don't understand. I thought the, there were too many people and the earth was going to collapse and we were going to burn to death in a population spurred global warming. Yeah, this is, you know, and we've been hearing this for like 200 years. This is, you know, it's been, this has been the rap since Thomas Malthus was around. And it's always <laughs> just around the corner. You know, even though people start living longer and famine and hunger starts disappearing. You know, and commodities prices keep dropping. It's always just about to get really, really bad. We're always supposed to be overpopulated. I mean, in a nice way, uh, we're actually sort of past that argument now because most of the models from, you know, even people like the United Nations and then most academic demographers are that the cake is baked. We are going to peak in world population probably in about 50 years, and then we're going to begin declining. So, uh, you know, I say to our, our overpopulation friends, you're getting what you wish for. This is where, this is where we are. We now got <laughs> to figure out a way to But I don't understand. What's the bad problem? thing? I mean, fewer, for, first of all, fewer kids means I can enjoy more meals in peace. I can go out to eat and, you know, and, and have a good time without having to listen to your screaming brat ruining my entire meal. Fewer kids means it's easier to drive to work. I'm not stopping for school buses, watch snotty-nosed kids flick loogies on me and on the windshield of my car. What's the downside, Jonathan Laft? Last of, of ex- what I'm expecting when no one's expecting is a better world. Yeah, you know what? This is this is the riddle of children. Fewer children makes your life better. Absolutely. But but fewer children in the aggregate makes everybody else's life sort of worse. This is because you need babies. One of the things that happens when the fertility rate declines is that you don't lose population evenly across the spectrum. You wind up shifting the entire age structure of your society. And so you wind up with many, many more old people than you have young people. This is actually, as I said, the heart of the entitlement crisis is just this. We haven't been making enough of what the economists call future taxpayers. Those are babies. And so when you have that inverted age pyramid where all of a sudden the top cohorts of old people are very, very big and the bottom cohorts of young people are very, very skinny, the economy begins to stagnate, demand drops in basically every sector except for health care, and the capital pools begin shifting and shrinking as people begin drawing down their savings uh, and and no longer investing in sort of, you know, risky and long horizon type ways. And you wind up with bad things. You know, it becomes a zero-sum game. If you look at Japan, just a couple of weeks ago, the Japanese finance minister came out and said that it was time for the old people in Japan to, quote, hurry up and die. Uh, that's the other thing about not again people. If I can get a hold of the get rid of the geezers, I can finally drive on the Mass <laughs> Pike and you'll get where I'm going. So I see all upsides here. Well, We're talking to Jonathan Last. last. The book is just, What uh, to Expect When No One's Expecting. Uh, PJ Work says a powerful argument that the only thing worse than having children is not having them. God, it's so true.
<laughs> well, yeah, let, no, let me ask then, Jonathan Laughs. Are you practicing what you preach? Are there any little Jonathans running around? God help me, there are. Well, yeah, my kids are four, two, and six weeks. Oh, and, uh, and poor I say, thing. You know, so I say to the the, the people who, who choose not to have children, they call themselves the child-free movement. Right. And a lot of them sort of just assume that I'm antagonistic and, you know, moralizing electric <laughs> to them. But it could not be further from the truth. I say I celebrate them. I say they are my heroes in a lot of ways. And I hope they go out to, like, Wednesday night movies and think fondly of me while I'm there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, because PJ's exactly right. You know, having kids is miserable. There's a lot of social science on this. A lot of research shows you take two people who are identical in every way, except one of them has a kid and one of them doesn't, the person with the kid is going to be about six percentage points less happy on average. That's for the first kid. You lose another two points for each additional. Only six? Yeah. Well, it's only for the first. Wow. Right? Uh, okay. I could about to say, I mean, if you're only six percent more miserable, you must be drinking 20% you're more alcohol. <laughs> uh, that's the only way I can make this work. But uh, seriously, the... the the notion that there is a right number of kids or wrong number of kids for a society to have seems just kind of odd. I mean, the ultimate self-determination is, am I going to reproduce and how much am I going to reproduce, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and this is, this is, if you think about it just in sort of purely philosophical terms, mm-hmm. what does it say about a society that does not have the will to reproduce itself? Uh, I mean, that's a society which sort of lacks confidence in the, in the really most mm-hmm. basic sense of it. Victor Orban has a great line about this, and he says that, you know, it's a sickness if you, if you over a prolonged period of time, just don't have the will to reproduce yourself. Uh, and I think that's probably sort of true, again, in the, in the very philosophical sense. You know, what's interesting about America, we have, I think, taken on this idea that, you know, oh, well, since the 1960s, our ideas about family have really changed, and we don't want kids anymore. But it turns out that, again, the data on this actually paints a very different picture. Demographers measure what's called the ideal fertility rate. That's the number of kids people say they would like to have in a perfect world. Right. In America, it's 2.5, much higher than the actual fertility rate is. But here's the crazy part. It's been 2.5 for 40 years. So even despite all the changes and all the, you know, like when if, you, if you only read the New York Times and the Atlantic Monthly, right. you would think that, like, well, everybody just wants to be sort of, you know, gay parents adopting one child. And, right. But it's, that's not the median experience. You know, it doesn't invalidate any the parents of, you know, any gay parents who are sure. adopting one child. It doesn't invalidate your experience. But that really is sort of outside the mainstream average mm-hmm. of America. But, but remember, what, this is what happens. You're walking down the street if you have, say, four kids or five kids, and people will confront you and they will say to you, why do you have too many chil- so many children? You have too many children. So I've had a caller after caller on my radio show, Jonathan, share those experiences with me. Yeah, I've had the same thing while I've been writing this book and hearing about that. And it's like, you know, like anti-Christian bigotry, like anti-big family bigotry is one of like the last acceptable realms of where it's really okay to like make jokes about people and, you know, point and giggle at the right. Duggars and all that. Uh, you know, why I say, you know, look, you got to celebrate these people because they're, they're paying for your future Social Security mm-hmm. benefits with those kids. Those kids are tomorrow's taxpayers. But remember, the people who, uh, who uh, like small families or no kids also tend to like open borders and amnesty. So they're going to replace they're going to get a replacement generation. It's just not necessarily going to be a replacement generation that shares any of their values. Well, you know, and here, even here, though, that's not certain. Uh, you know, I, I talk a lot about this in the book. And immigration has historically been highly dependent on fertility rate. Once a country goes below the replacement rate, typically they do not send immigrants out across their borders. And the fertility rates all through Central and South America are on a steeper rate of decline than ours, even though many of them are higher than where we are right now. Right. All, within about 20 years, all of Central and South America will be below the replacement rate. 
And it is a very open question as to whether or not we're still going to be getting mass immigration for them, regardless of what we do on our end in terms of domestic policy. Have you seen the movie Idiot Idiocracy? Yes. I, it was just hilarious. And it starts with that demographic tale. There's the very anal couple that could be from right down the street here in Boston, you know, that they're waiting to have a child until they finish their doctorate, et cetera, and all this stuff. And then there's Virgil from down where I grew up in rural South Carolina. And he's got his wife pregnant. He's got his two cousins pregnant. He's got the lady in the trailer park across the street pregnant. And it's, it's, the, it's, uh, it's hilarious. It's a hilarious premise. But the reason it works, Jonathan, is that it seems to be, you know, have, have a touch of truth in it. Is it true it that dumb, a, mouth-breathing Walmart customers are having more babies than the elite uh, Gap Kids shoppers? Well, here's, so here's the thing. It is true and it is not true. Uh, it is true that at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, the less education you have, the less your income is, the more children you will have. But here's where it is not true. There's great research done by this Austrian demographer, Regard Skirbeck, and looking back, and going back about 700 years, and what he found is that fertility is what the sociologists call an aspirational behavior. And it means that the people at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum have always patterned their fertility behaviors on what the elites are doing. And you see this all through Western civilization, you see it in America today. The people who are at the lower end, the sort of the idiots of idiocracy, they've been cutting back on their fertility too since the 19, late 1960s and early 1970s. They've been following the elites downward on that downward uh, slope. And so we're all sort of circling the drain together. The truth is, if idiocracy was true, then, you know, like genetics sorts everything out in the wash and, you know, we'd probably be fine, but it's not. It's even worse. <laughs> so the last question for you, Jonathan, last, and I really appreciate your time. The book is What to Expect When No One's Expecting America's Coming Demographic Disaster. Is is there a government policy, the French, you know, practically paying people to have kids, is there a government policy that you're advocating? Yes, there is one government policy. I'm in Germany, uh, they have a surplus of prostitutes because they don't have enough young men to keep the prostitutes busy. They have a dearth of old folks home nurses because they just they have so many old German people, they don't have enough nurses. And so the German government has started a program taking hookers, training them up, and sending them to work the old <laughs> folks' home. And I bet old Gustav and Franz are very thrilled Franz, to see them. Franz and Fritz have never had it so well. <laughs> I, I'm not advocating. I just meant that I wanted to close the show on a hopeful note there that, you know, like, hey, there's an upside somewhere. Is there? Yeah, that's it. We get, we that's get it? Uh, hookers. When we when, get the hookers can, in the old folks' home, we're done. To the old folks' home, you're going to get a hooker taken All i got to say is everyone listening, you need to get jiggy with it. You need to take this uh, as your, here on Valentine's Week, this is your opportunity to do your part to keep America prosperous for generations to come. Go out, make babies. Jonathan Last, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. It's awesome, man. Great to be with you. This is the Weekly Standard Podcast. Be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.